what I believe is some of the is one of the cornerstones of being a great leader is do you have the ability to be empathetic? Do you have high IQ and more importantly EQ? Are you able to break down uh, problems? Are you a good coach? Do you listen effectively? Um, these are you know kind of the cornerstones of uh, great leaders. I would say I'm constantly in, a, in the process of improving on all those things I just mentioned in my leadership skills because I don't think I'm done on what it takes to be a great leader. Hello, this is Alexander Lauren. I'd like to welcome you to the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Jeffrey Friedman brings over 20 years of leadership expertise in sales, channels, marketing and customer knowledge to his current position as country manager proofpoint canada mr friedman has executive responsibility for developing supporting and executing the sales strategy in businesses across canada in this capacity mr friedman devotes his expertise and efforts to lead proofpoint in delivering award cybersecurity solutions to clients prior to joining proofpoint he had a 22-year career at IBM, where Jeffrey worked in a variety of business units. Additionally, he contributes his time generously to the United Way and Sporting Life 10K fundraiser. Jeffrey, welcome to the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Thank you very much. And good day, Alexander. How are you? Good day. I am amazing. Thank you. I was looking over your LinkedIn profile, and in your summary, it says a couple of things I, I thought were really interesting. One, strategic thinker and a passionate problem solver known for blending speed with agility. Could you explain that a little bit, like especially known for blending speed with agility? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And the reason I have it on my LinkedIn profile, because I think it is a skill that is um, unique. And I think it's very important in today's uh, economy. So um, too many clients uh, and co companies uh, want to move quickly. And uh, they talk about moving quickly and what that means. Um, but they aren't able to execute on that ability to move quickly. So they have a mindset of speed, but they don't actually know what moving quickly means. The additional thing is, it's not just about moving quickly. It's about moving gracefully or with, with agility and, and pivoting to where there is new opportunity. And so being agile, uh, in my mind, means Look, we we see where the, where the ball where the puck is going in very Canadian analogy, and we're able to get to it uh, quickly and um, and make the you know course corrections along the way. And I think that's a, an important um, notion uh, and and skill. And so uh, I've been able to do that in a number of uh, different capacities. And I think that that's really important in today's uh, marketplace, more so than I think ever before because of the speed at which we move and which business models are adapting and changing. I love it. And forgive me, you brought up the word puck. I think of Wayne Gretzky and why Wayne Gretzky was so good at hockey was that he was able to know where the puck was going before it was going there. Absolutely. Same. And I think that, I, that that's exactly the analogy that I think is so uh, appropriate for today uh, and for you know, the way I kind of fashion myself in terms of my leadership. When you say I'm no Wayne Gretzky, but, but so let's, <laughs> let's be clear, but you know, I'd, I'd like to be. <laughs> Wear a 99 on the back of your suit. That would be excellent. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so now you, now you talk about moving quickly uh, and gracefully. Did that come with years of experience? 
Um, it's probably because I've been ungraceful so many times that I'm getting more graceful as we go on. Um, so I think that you, each opportunity and challenge uh, that you're, that's been put in front of me has allowed me to become uh, more and more thoughtful about this process. And, and quite frankly, one of the things I became known for was being a turnaround guy and uh, being given challenges in, in different business units. And by doing so, uh, it has allowed me to say, okay, how do we break down this problem? How do we deconstruct it uh, and therefore rebuild the business um, and, you know, repivot, you know, both the strategy and the execution uh, and, and move quickly to capture new opportunities and grow in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, after I'm now probably on my fourth uh, major turnaround and because of that, um, you get, you get a, a bit of a formula in doing so. Um, and it's a loose formula because everything's every situation is different, but you have to think quickly and, and move. And then you have to, you try to do it with as much grace as possible so that uh, you can grow in the marketplace and be relevant to your clients at the same time. Jeffrey, there was another, another small statement on your profile. I just loved it. Global mindset to foster employee engagement, cultivating talent locally regionally and globally to inspire the next generation of leaders. I love it. So global mindset to foster employee engagement, just that part alone, what is the key to that? Um, so I've had the opportunity to work on a number of global teams. So that meant there were individuals in, uh, in, the, in India, in the Philippines, in Costa Rica, etc. And you have to make them, everyone needs to be, be a part of the team. So while the, the team was local here in Canada, you had a virtual team uh, across borders and time zones. And how do you bring them into the sense of community, the sense of success that you would enjoy? And uh, you need to think globally. And you, you need to, in the global mindset also means you need to be culturally aware. What does it mean to be on the phone in, in, um, in India or in the Philippines or in Costa Rica or in Poland? And how do you bring that into your team? And how are you culturally sensitive to it and also um, make your local team feel the same. And so it's not us and them, which many, I've seen so often um, in organizations, it's really a one team. And that mentality is, is important because it does drive a uh, different set of behaviors and different sets of success. Um, and it's all done and it's a tone from the top, I think is very important on that. And that's you know uh, part of what I would say by fostering that, that behavior. And then in terms of leadership is how do you help those individuals, even though they may be in, in another geography, achieve their career objectives? Because, you, know, you know, just like you're, you know, yourself or people who are local, they have their own career objectives. And how do you help them achieve their goals so they help you achieve your goals, but also ultimately advance their career? Now, I... I <laughs> well, yes, you know, and I've been talking to I've been talking to some sales leaders who manage a global force, and it seems to be very, very difficult for them at first. How did you How did you learn? Was this something that it was just trial and error for you, or did did you have any sort of training? Chat me up on that. Yeah, so I, I, there's a couple points. So let's let's start with, you know, how do you become a good sales leader? And then the global aspect of it is, is a much different element. It's, it, it's, um, it's a, uh, it's a black belt versus a brown belt. Um, I think the first thing is you, you have to, you know, learn how to, how to, you know, engage in karate before you become a black belt and it takes a ton of practice. And, and so, you know, I, I was very lucky early on to have some great sales mentors 
uh, and to work in a very disciplined sales organization where it, you know, it had both elements of on-the-job training, but but in also uh, real-time sales uh, leadership training. And uh, uh, those elements prepare you for taking on global roles and um, ultimately, you know, leading larger and larger sales forces. And, you, you know, you, you just don't wake up and become a sales leader. And there, there are some people who, by the way, should never be in, in leadership positions. Um, and they do it because they think that's the next logical step. Um, but, but we, you know, I think we all have seen people fail, unfortunately, in that process. Uh, I've been lucky. Uh, I've had great, as I said, great uh, mentors and, and leaders to to learn from. And part of it is also, do you have, uh, I don't want to use this, you know, do you have the DNA, but do you have the do you have the skill sets, do you have the aptitude, do you have the, are you a learning animal um, to uh, lead a team? And, uh, and in doing so, can you translate that into what it means to not just lead a team, but also lead a team for business success? And then ultimately, can you bring a global view to it? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, I, I go back to this cultural sensitivity. You need to understand that, you know, um, there is differences in, in Canada, in terms of uh, in terms of our culture, but also what it means when you you deal in a global global um, uh, uh, approach. So that'd be my uh, complex answer to that. Probably relatively simple question. <laughs> you know, to inspire the next generation of leaders, what does it inspire the next generation of leaders? The next generation generation of leaders, I think, are inspired in this very same way that, that we are. You know, that that I was um, when I started. Um, it is about um, do you want to be a leader? So um, there are. I go back to the, my previous comment, which says there are individuals who should be um, should decide not to to lead. Um, it's not in their best interest and not in the best interest of the people they lead. And I, you know, we've seen it unfortunately too often where, you know, people, um, and we see it now in the news where they abuse their positions of authority. Um, they lead through authoritative, um, uh, style, uh, they're punitive in their approach. Um, and, and I, ultimately that's unsuccessful in the long term. What I, I believe is some of the, is one of the cornerstones of being a great leader is, do you have the ability to be empathetic? Do you have high IQ and more importantly, EQ? Are you able to break down uh, problems? Are you a good coach? Do you listen effectively? Um, these are, you know, kind of the cornerstones of uh, great leaders. And um, I, I've been, I, I would say I'm constantly in the, in the process of improving on all those things I've just mentioned in my leadership skills, because I don't think I'm done on what it takes to be a great leader. Um, but I'm, and perhaps uh, I view it as a constant, you know, evolution of my own my own skills in terms of uh, leadership. You did mention, you know, a couple times how some people should not be leaders, and you've given out some traits. I've just jotted them down: empathy, IQ, EQ, coaching, listening. If you wanted to, if you had the desire to become a leader, can is it inherent, Jeffrey, or are all these skills learnable? Um, you know, I, I made the mistake earlier in our, our, our dialogue to say that it's, you know, it's in your DNA because it's not. I believe it is a learned capacity. But there are some people who, um, by their own evolution, 
don't have sensitivity, don't have the ability, don't have a high EQ. And it's not, doesn't take anything away from them. They may be the most incredible individual contributors. They may be very good at what they do, but they cannot uh, effectively lead a team. And you look at some of the greatest team leaders and you look at those, those skills and unpack them, those skills, and you realize that there are some people who definitely don't possess that ability to have those skills and to learn the, the skill. And I think it's what is important is when leaders are selecting future leaders is that they look for that in the individuals. And it's not, you know, I, I, I think that something has, you know, the, the marketplace has dramatically changed where, you know, you used to be an individual contributor or um, a line into you know, someone on the line, and then you'd become a manager. And that was the rite of passage. And that was how you got uh, incremental pay, in incremental responsibilities. And that was the assumed role uh, or uh, career path. I think that today, the impact of leadership is so profound. It's been that way forever, but I think it's, it's now, you know, it, it, you know, these are big bets we're making. We can't, you can't, you can't follow this traditional career um, path that, uh, that had been laid out in the, in the, in prior years and without making that assessment, is this person going to be a good leader? Because the downside is so dramatic. Uh, and that's the one thing I guess I've observed and uh, am so thoughtful of is I, I, I'm choosing leaders. I think it's the most important decision you can make, uh, far more so than choosing an individual contributor. And you have to choose them. Do they have the ability to be a, a good leader? Or and ultimately a great leader. How are you able? Okay, this might be this might be a little tough of a question. But when you are when you're meeting someone for the first time, and you're perhaps you're going through the interview process, are you able to identify traits quickly in someone if they can be a leader? Um, you have to be a really good interviewer uh, to, to get past because I've seen individuals who. Uh, have become leaders. They have been interviewed very effectively by multiple people, and they are train wrecks. So some people interview incredibly well, uh, and they can tell you what you want to hear. Um, so it's really a question of um, being more than just an effective interviewer. Is checking references. It's um, getting them into just like we're doing here uh, a dialogue, which is a you know hearing from them. Um, evidence, you know, providing evidence and background to specific examples of where they've been a leader. I think when you get people to really, un, you know, unpack um, uh, instances, you'll find out their style. But then there are some people who they tell everything and then they, like I said, they get behind the, the door and then they're a, a train wreck. They're abusive. They're, um, uh, you know, they use language that's inappropriate. Um, they, they drive a team apart versus together. And sometimes you wouldn't, you don't have the ability to, to pick that up. Yeah. Especially, um, these days people are so good at interviewing and there's a common error. I think that people make is that they tend to hire based on personality rather than performance. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you can review the performance, and you know, have that open dialogue. I think your chances are probably much better than having a, a mishire. Yes, and I think people hire for what they think uh, uh, will be a great leader versus, to your point, un unpacking it, getting to the details. Uh, 
there's a great HBR article on um, humble leadership uh, and humility, and it 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 talks about why sometimes some of the greatest leaders don't interview well. Hey Jeffrey, how much time do you spend cultivating and improving your leadership skills? Probably not enough. It would be a quick answer. I think it's constantly a. I believe, I think I I used the term earlier, a work in progress. And I'm constantly thinking, how did I do uh, in this instance? Am I spending the right amount of time with people on my team? Um, Have I listened effectively? Am I coaching versus telling? Um, You know, all the things, you know, I kind of go back to is the the principles of being a good leader. I I would tell you, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. um, And I, by thinking I don't do it enough probably says that <laughs> I'm doing it, at least I'm doing it. And I think that that's an important point. You can't sleepwalk through leadership. Uh, how about your, your, um, your daily activities? Do you have any daily activities or routines that, that have helped you become such a high achiever in your career? I, I'm going to share with you. I, I recently watched a, um, a YouTube uh, video by a gentleman named Admiral McCraven, a former Navy SEAL and head of uh, U.S. Special Forces. He's now a, um, I think he's Chancellor of Texas A&M. And uh, he talks about making your bed every day. And it's it's been watched by uh, 20 million people. And it's a six-minute video, uh, Alexander. And it's, it's a great video because it talks about how if you start your day by making your bed, you'll accomplish one thing and you'll always will come back to this made bed. I will do it no justice by by going any further than that, I, I, I recommend it. But what what that notion is, I've applied to, to my business life in that every night I make a to-do list for the next day. Uh, I may not achieve everything on my to-do list, but I'll go to bed knowing I've recorded everything I need to accomplish the next day. And I start my day off with that to-do list. Um, one of the greatest sales people I've ever met at uh, had these what he called power hours and every day from nine to 11 i was very early in my career and i worked with him and every day from nine to 11 he had um, prospecting hours where he only would do prospecting so you know someone called in for um to to follow up on something he would put it to voicemail this is back in the days where people used voicemail and 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 email uh use voicemail more uh, calls more and uh, emails less and he was so disciplined at it. And, and that discipline, I think I've inherited in, in my own selling uh, methodologies, which is I am constantly prospecting and I carve out time to prospect. Um, because no matter what, where you are in the hierarchy of uh, leadership, you should be out uh, uh, calling your customers and prospects. And his discipline in this, I learned because uh, one day I, I had a, someone call in wanted to buy something. And I went up to his desk and I said, you know, can't remember the individual's name. I said, you know, um, I've got this client on line one. She really wants to buy something. He's like, well, you take the order because just so we're clear right now I'm busy. And I went back to him a couple hours later because I said, I said, you know, this guy was rude to me because um, he basically, you know, shooed me away and had me go execute his business. He said, look, every day from nine to 11, I prospect and I'm that disciplined. And if you want to be successful, you need to be disciplined. And I, I think I've inherited that uh, early on in my career, and I follow through by being disciplined. Wow, great. Very great. I, I know that um, I think for myself, I call them my golden hours. 
So if I can keep my golden hours, my most uh, generally my most productive time, then it's like, okay, I'll block everything outside. And yeah, it really does require great discipline. Jeffrey, you, you'd mentioned about mentors in the past. Do you, would you like to give a shout out to some of your mentors that you've had? I, I, you know, I've been so fortunate. I've had so many mentors um, and, and they've all uh, helped me in so many different ways, Alexander. And, I, and one individual I think I'd like to call out, um, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to do so, is a gentleman named Derek Smith. And I'm not sure if you know Derek. Uh, Derek is a, uh, was a legend in the Canadian uh, tech scene. Um, and Derek unfortunately passed away, I guess now almost two years ago, um, uh, from cancer. Uh, at a very young age, but he made a huge impression on so many people in the tech community in Canada and also in, in Silicon Valley, but specifically for, you know, my experience was with him in Canada. He got me into sales uh, and throughout our my career, he and I would remain in touch, no matter w- whether he was in Vancouver or in Silicon Valley or whether he was leading a VC here in Toronto. And, you know, just a, a testament to how I'm, you know, how much time he spent on his network and on giving back to people uh, that he was close to was a testament when I was at the, at his um, uh, uh, celebration of life, just how many people in the room. And these were some of the titans of the Canadian tech industry were there to celebrate. And, and that really uh, says a lot about Derek. And I was fortunate to have exposure to him and, and he was uh, put me on the path to, uh, to sales leadership where I am today. Well, Derek certainly has uh, left a legacy. When you say he got you into sales or sales leadership, what was it about that that really intrigued you? Um, I worked for him uh, at a very young age uh, during a a college um, during my university uh, summer uh, summer stint. I worked for him at a small var, and he was uh, head of operations. I was basically his his Friday, you know, his man Friday who would go and do anything he, he needed to get done uh, as he was proving out the, the need for incremental resources. And at the end of my uh, summer, uh, he was moving on to another another role uh, in Canada, probably one of his first leadership, uh, major leadership roles in Canada. Um, and he took me aside and I said, look, uh, he, said, he said, look, they really want to hire you back uh, when you graduate uh, and you can come back uh, during Christmas and uh, during your March break. And, and I said, well, Derek, you know, what should I do? He said, look, I want you to look around because, you know, there's a bunch of different roles that they, they wanted me at, at this uh, small company to do. And he says, I want you to look around the room. And he said, the most successful people in this room are the salespeople. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, you can do just about anything in this room. Choose the one which will be most successful. And I didn't really know much about sales at the time. And uh, that would put me on the path for being a salesperson and ultimately would lead me into sales leadership. And, and I, you know, he and I would remain in touch uh, throughout, throughout our careers. And um, I, I remember the discussion we had to this day and the first sales book he ever gave me. Mm, wonderful. I have to ask you, Jeffrey. So you had 22 years at IBM. What is the key to staying with an organization for 22 years? Um, <laughs> That's probably the you know the the question I ask myself as well. You, you know, there's there's a sense. Um, uh, I'm going to answer it following. I was very lucky at IBM. I had a great career, and I it, you know had a number of different roles. I think what made me uh, stay at IBM was one. It was I had a great 
uh, opportunity to learn from some incredible people. And ultimately, uh, I would, you know, ran uh, and worked with some uh, incredible teams. Uh, I also didn't have this a, a job for uh, because I was on a, a accelerated path for anything longer than two and a half years. And so I was in constantly changing and pushing myself. So it was equivalent of working at a number of different companies throughout my career. But I just stayed with one but but I was able to do that all within the confines of one role. I mean, IBM is such a large place, you know, 400,000 people worldwide. You know, in Canada, it's over 10,000 people, well over 10,000 people. So you get a sense there's lots of opportunity and diversity. And, and it, I would say when I started my career, the ability to move and um, be flexible inside of a, a large organization like IBM was the norm. I, it doesn't exist, I think, as, as much so today because the drive for um, uh, depth uh, versus breadth. And so uh, that is one of the reasons I stayed. And I was, you know, ultimately part of the Canadian leadership team. And uh, I worked with some fabulous people, but you get to, you, you have to ask yourself, okay, what's next? And if you're not learning and you're not driving yourself and pushing yourself, uh, you have to make decisions. And uh, while I love my time there, I also, I'm having a fabulous time where I am today. I, I wonder if it's possible to have a long-term um, tenure with with a smaller company. Do you think it's possible as long as you keep learning and growing? You know, Alexander, I, my observation is there's a transientness today that wasn't uh, when we, you and I started in our careers. Uh, and the, the transientness uh, is almost fostered um, uh, by this, the sense of the only way to progress is to move, and I think that's uh, a a incorrect statement. Um, that I think that at at smaller companies you can progress um, to uh, to to the extent that there may exist in the, in a company, um, but it's also going back to that you know our really first conversation, which is about being nimble, being agile, being fast. Um, those people who can do th those things move effectively inside organizations. If you aren't able um, and you aren't able to see where the puck is going or, you know, um, focus on the past, you need to move because the organization may move past you. Um, and so it's a bit of a um, dichotomy where by which there are some people who are um, who leave organizations because they want progress. There's also some people who leave organizations because the organization has progressed past them. Jeffrey, what is your best piece of advice to, let's say there's someone who's an individual contributor and they, they crave a sales leader position. What, what, what do you suggest? I, I think the first thing is to decide what, you know, to ask yourself the question, why do you crave that sales leadership position? You know, what is it that you think um, makes you unique and, and have the capacity to be a great leader? And then um, if that's your desire and, and hey, look, I, I've been doing it for you know, almost 20 years um, uh, and I love it. So, uh, you know, far be it for me to say to someone don't do it because it's, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, I would encourage the person to seek out a mentor, seek out a mentor who they uh, think is really good in this space 
And you don't necessarily have to have a deep relationship uh, with a, with this individual to, for it to be a mentor-protege relationship. And I think this, uh, that's very important. And I think the second thing I would um, encourage the person to do is um, build out a skills matrix, you know, a, a four up or a, and even taking a, a, a single page and splitting it in half and say, look, here's, here's the skills I'm really good at. Here's the skills I think I need to improve. And be constantly looking at those, that page to say, have I made any progress on the right side of the page, which says areas to improve? And then am I constantly ensuring that the skills on the left-hand side of the page, I'm, uh, I'm ensuring that those stay relevant and uh, are my core skills um, that I can leverage on the right side of the page. Uh, and that's you know, something that I do. That's excellent. And that's wonderful, really wonderful advice. Just carve out the time to do a skills matrix. Do you do, you do that? Do you carve out some time in your calendar to, to be able to do something like that? Uh, again, I go back to the, I'm probably, I probably fall, I probably have lots of good advice and don't, probably don't follow it as much as I do. I, I need to, uh, but I would, uh, I think I've done some really um, uh, in-depth observation of, of where I'm at and what I need to focus on. And I also have realized the gaps I've got in my skill set where I can't fill uh, and where I don't think I can fill. And I've made sure I've surround myself with people who are exceptional in those categories so that, you know, I can, I can leverage their skills to fill my gaps. And I think if you do the really strong skill gap analysis, you can assess which of those skills will you not be able to um, become a, you know, a Six Sigma and et cetera. And so I think I've done that and, and I've been able to say, okay, look, that's a weakness for me. How am I going to shore it up? Who am I going to bring it into my, into my team if, if that is a skill that we need on the team? Yeah, it, it sounds like take the time to just bring it to light, your skill analysis, your skills matrix, gap analysis. And, you know, as you do, you have, a, it sounds like you have an internal dialogue and even just using the people around you as an example on, on what you need to improve. I guess it's a, it could be an internal and an external activity. Yeah. And, and part of it is you're responsible for your career. Um, and you're responsible for your skills. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's yours. And so just to your, just to your point, um, if you're not taking the time to invest in yourself, in your skills, in your career, um, the only person you have to hold accountable is yourself. And so, you know, I'm uh, very much focused on that. And you know, while I say I'm not, I don't spend en enough time, it's because I think it's one of those things where you can, you, you can't, um, uh, you can't you can't over trick on it you know you this is one of those things where you can spend lots of time and think about it and in in alexander you know if i may you can watch a movie uh and pick out leadership skills that you want and um i recently watched moneyball i don't know if you're yeah. if you recall the, the movie but this is a, it's a great story and you can think it's just about baseball but it's there's a huge element of leadership and you know i think to the to the meeting he has with all the recruit you know all the um the scouts he's got in the room and they all are from a, a, a generation and a, a vantage point that they think he's doing something completely wrong. And it's, you know, to go against that and to, to, you know, to push that into to, is a, is a leadership moment and to see how he gets through it and to see how he brings his coach along, et cetera. 
these are leadership uh, learnings that you pick up. And if you're attuned to it, you're seeing it in everything you do, whether it being watching Moneyball or, you know, watching a YouTube video. You know, these are things that you can apply to your business and to your career, um, but you have to be in tune for it. Very good. Jeffrey, are you ready for the biggest win rapid fire round? I'm going to try my best. All right. I've got 15 questions. I'll give you 60 seconds to answer all 15. If you're stuck, just say pass and I'll move on to the next question. Let's see how many questions you can answer correctly. The score to beat is nine. I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. The clock will begin after I ask you the first question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. What does KPI stand for? Uh, key performance indicator. What does ABC stand for? Always be closing. What's the definition of a cold call? Uh, you don't know anything about the prospect. What's the first thing you sold? That was incorrect, actually. Uh, first thing I sold was soap. <laughs> what was the first thing sold on the internet? A music CD, a domain name, or a book? Pass. Who wrote The Greatest Salesman in the World? Pass. True or false, George Clooney used to sell insurance. True. In 1934, the Girl Scouts of Greater Philadelphia became the first to sell commercially baked cookies. How much did each box cost? Nine or 23 cents? 23. The film Glengarry Glen Ross depicts two days in the lives of four salesmen. What did they sell? Real estate. What will move you forward and closer to your goals? Preparation. If you had to eat two frogs, which one should you eat first? The big one. Right on. Well done. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Jeffrey, you tied the record. That's awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Loved it. Did you say the first thing you sold was soap? Yes. <laughs> tell tell me how did you how did you get that job? I was uh, so um, I was look I, I'm I'm not a, a spring chicken here, but I was um, uh, ten or eleven years old. My mother was working at a bazaar in 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 Toronto, like one of these big bazaars, you know, where they would sell everything you could possibly imagine. And uh, her team was selling salads or, or food um, to the people who were in attendance. And I was getting her in her way. Uh, and there was, beside her was a, a stand of soap, bars of soap piled up. And uh, she said, why don't you go over there and sell those soap? Assuming that I would, you know, myself and this other young kid would, would do nothing. And we hawked these soaps <laughs> uh, to everyone walking by. We you know, stick them in their face. You know, look, we're young kids. We're sticking them in people's face. Smell the soap, you know, buy two, get one free. And I, you know, I'm 10 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. We sold out all the soaps to the point where these ladies who were running this bazaar looked at us and said, okay, look, bring them back next year. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You had the it factor way back when. Uh, okay. The greatest salesman in the world, Augmandino. And which the first thing sold on the internet was a CD 10 sting, stings, 10 somners tells. Thank you okay. for playing my game. Thank you for indulging me. Oh, it was fantastic. I loved it. <laughs> All right. It's called the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. So the final question to you, Jeffrey, can you tell us about uh, one of your biggest wins? Yeah, I think you sometimes remember the, the biggest losses over the biggest wins. Um, 
I'll tell you about a win uh, that I remember recently that may not have been my biggest, but uh, I feel really good about. And I feel really good about it because um, it drive it drives everything we talk about to, today in modern selling, which is understanding your client, uh, helping them achieve their goals. And today's client is much more educated than they have ever been. And so they, they are coming to the table uh, and putting forward their requirements uh, and they're very prepared for the discussion. And so um, one of the uh, objectives uh, this client had, they were going through some financial challenges and we had uh, built a financial value proposition for the client where they could uh, move to new technology uh, dramatic and, and see a dramatic savings. Um, and the team did not have the relationships that were required at the client to move this ball forward. And the client didn't truly understand the value proposition uh, at a senior executive level. And um, one of the challenges that we had was we were told no. So you know, middle management said, look, don't take this deal forward. You take it forward. Um, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to, you're not going to achieve it. You're going to impact the relationship. And everyone kind of said, you know, Jeff, we're putting it in the drawer. We'll come back next year. I said, look, I, I don't agree with you guys. I, I think you're missing an opportunity here. Uh, and I rarely do this with my sellers. Um, and I said, look, I think we have to represent this value proposition because it's so compelling to the client and I can help them. And they're, they're in financial straits. We need to we need to help them achieve that goal, and we can and we can help them. And so I said, "Look, um, get me the opportunity to go meet with this client, um, and I'll do it." And I had met with the client very briefly on a customer satisfaction issue they had had, uh, call it six months earlier. And it really was a very quick meeting because we'd resolved the CSAT issue. And I, and here I go, I sit down with the individual, and I um, on a piece of paper I outline the deal. And, he, and the, the CIO looks at me and, and says, oh, look, I, I can appreciate what you're telling me. My, my team has told me, you know, we can't do this. I said, look, I, I, my only ask is just take a look at this again. I really do think it's compelling. And I outlined the savings. And like I said, it was a very simple sale because it was on one page. Um, and uh, he and I agreed that we'd, he'd go back and look, talk to his team and, and we'd have a conversation in three days time. And uh, he'd go back to his team uh, they'd have, you know, they, they were able to, and we'd already rearticulated to them the, the value proposition, but what made this, you know, it sounds like a simple sales sell, um, sell, but Alexander, it was, it was complex. And ultimately they would, you know, he would agree to the deal and, and we'd move forward. Um, what I found out through a, a third party was that he had had to take it through to their auditor and their auditor looked at the deal and said, this is an incredibly compelling value proposition that has been put forward. Um, while we wanted to put money on a certain different project, we're going to give it to this project because the way that um, the sales team, we had structured the deal and what it was going to achieve. And we knew what they were, the business metrics they were looking to achieve. And because we had stated it in that way, the auditor said, okay, look, because it's going to achieve this, we'll do it. Um, we ultimately would achieve those goals. The client um, uh, who was uh, the business sponsor for it would hit their MBO for the year because of it, and it would um, propel them forward. And getting the, the third-party feedback that we had we had created this win-win for them uh, was so rewarding, and it, it just makes you feel like, hey, look, we listened to the client. We understood the client's business problems really well. 
and we did what was necessary um, uh, to do it. And that makes you feel good. Uh, and ultimately, the client was really satisfied and came back and said, thank you. So uh, I think that that's why we do this, right? Yeah. Wonderful. You know, I heard so I heard so many things there, you know, pushing back and, and overcoming like the objection and, you know, per- being persuasive on the on the benefits. It really sounded like full on customer advocacy. This is what's best for you. You got to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, we had a ton, you know, I, I shortened the story for brevity, but um, you, you get a sense for you know, there was there was a lot of people saying no, Alexander, and it, again, it was we had we originally had not done our job selling it because we didn't um, position it effectively enough with the value proposition. And, and you know, we look at value propositions are so important, and understanding business cases are so important, and why the client is motivated to do things. What are their MBOs? You know, you have these conversations with sellers today, and they look at you like you know, you say, well, why are they doing this? What's their motivation? You know. Is this is this a part of their MBO? And you you know when you get a blank stare, you kind of like okay, like you know we need to coach you on on what you're doing. Uh, so it's a great opportunity. So yeah, it was it was a ton of fun, and you know it was recent. And I remember it, and I I feel good about it. And I still feel good about it, obviously to this day. Jeffrey, it was really great to connect with you. Can you please let the listener know how to connect with you? And if there's anything else that you'd like to add, please do. The floor is yours. Well, thank you, um, Alexander. It's been a pleasure, and uh, it's always um, challenging to to uh, to have these kind of conversations because you have to think of think of some of the things you do on a daily basis, um, but you do it sometimes uh, uh, subconsciously. So, uh, I value the time. I'm easy to reach. Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. Uh, it's Jeffrey Friedman at uh, at Proofpoint, and uh, here in Toronto. And uh, I'm always uh, looking to connect. And one thing I would say to people who do connect via LinkedIn is, uh, you know, um, give me a reason why we should connect. Uh, there's a ability to, rather than just hit connect, to send a message. And I would encourage you to do that because uh, it's it's the first sales opportunity you've got. Uh, so take it. Uh, and I think too many people are in this, you know, this mode of just clicking and uh it's, it's more than just a click. Uh, relationships are more than just a click, and there's a reason why we connect to each other. Wonderful. Relationships are more than just a click. That's, that's brilliant. Brilliant and true. Thanks again, Jeffrey. Thank you. I appreciate the time today. Well, that concludes today's episode of the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go on Apple Podcasts, leave a comment, and a five-star review. Stay tuned for the bonus portion of the show, the podcast in a podcast, the sales podcast improv. Listener, if you'd like to connect with me, send me an email at alexander at thebiggestwin.ca or call my office at 647-417-0517. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now. Welcome to the Sales Podcast Improv. This is a micro-podcast about a sales interaction with a sales professional and a customer. I wrote a bunch of words, cut them out, and my dad, Alexander, placed them in a box. While you hear this message, he's picking a random word. He and his guests will create a 3-5 to minute 
sales improvisation on that word. I hope you enjoyed the show. Bye. Well, this is a fine-smelling establishment. Uh, you, sir, you you sell food here. It just smells and reeks of food. Thank you so much. We just don't sell food. We sell the best Thai food. Uh, and I encourage you to, to you know, you, you, you've now smelt it. Get your other senses engaged. Yeah. Uh, would, what would, you know, what do you enjoy eating? And I'm happy to give you some recommendations well i've been you know locked in my basement for a number of years and i'm just in my little community i'm on vacation actually and i wanted to explore the foods of the world i've never had thai food now and and you mentioned well i got the smell the smell is delicious and you mentioned other sensory thing can i eat thai food with my hands i think you can eat any food with your hands i have specific spring rolls that would be phenomenal to eat with your hands Oh, wonderful spring rolls. I, I love it. Tell me about you, the, this, the best dish in the house. It's hard to recommend just one. So what I would consider, since this is your first time having Thai food, is doing a sample menu uh, that I, cre- I would create just for you. Um, yes, wow. absolutely. So we'd have some things you can eat with your hands, uh, samosas and uh, uh, spring rolls. But we'd also, I'd like to introduce you to curries. And we've got three different curries that you can try and rice. And if you give me the opportunity to create this dish, I would, it will be an an opportunity to sense, to taste a variety of what uh, Thai food has to offer and will engage you in not just um, your sense, a number of your senses, your smell, your taste, and your touch, because there's some things you'll eat with your hands. And it's a great opportunity. So, and we can always add more to anything you particularly enjoy, but I would encourage you to open your your mind and your mouth to the flavors of, of Thailand. Wow, sir, you are so kind and generous with your time. Question, however, there's no one in the restaurant. Why is that? Well, you've just come at the right time because uh, our <laughs> our lunch crowd actually is a little bit later than normal. So, um, you know, the good news is you, you have a seat, but everything's super fresh because we've made it for our lunch crowd and it I've literally just just taken it out. So you're you were in luck, and uh, and I, what I'll do is until until it gets busy here, I'll sit with you and keep you company. So and I'll explain what you're eating. <laughs> wow, what amazing service! Well, <clears throat> it's kind of be hard to say no. Um, all right, well, uh, let's do it. I'll uh, give you. Actually, before we, I agree to anything. Um, how much will this cost? Well, the good news is, uh, you know. I I'm, I'm do this for the passion of what I sell, for what I what I'm, I create, and so it's not actually quite expensive, uh, you know, for for everything here, and including, well, I suggest you have a Thai beer with it, uh, is twenty five dollars. Uh, so so uh, we 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 only deal in U.S. currency, so it's twenty five dollars U.S. So you don't have to worry about the bot. So uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> Very good. I just love your passion. I love your communication skills. What are you the owner of the business? I am. Yes. And what made you decide to start a Thai food restaurant business? Uh, I was lucky enough to marry an incredible uh, uh, chef, and it's her and my mother who are in the kitchen making this food. So it's it's homemade. I mean, you can't you can't get anything more than that. And 
it's what I eat every day. And so I'm sharing my, my kitchen with you. This is what I was, how I was raised and brought up. And so, uh, there's no better opportunity to, to, to taste it. Wow. It's too good to be true. Okay. Well, here's my credit card. Why don't you ring me up? And then I'm going to go and, and get my wife down the block and she can come join me. She's never had Thai food, I, Thai food either. No problem. So if, if you do want to have this for two, I, what I'll do is I'll make two plates, but it will still be $25 each. I just wanted to make sure you know that. Very good. And you'll still sit here with us? Of course. Be my pleasure. Wonderful. 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 All right. Well, thank you. I'm gonna, I'll be right back. Great.